So again, the passage we are going in today, going to look through, is Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. Before I do, I just want to quickly remind you of what I preached on last time, which was Ephesians 1, uh, 1 through 6, starting with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So we learned and reminded ourselves, if you didn't know, what it means to be blessed and what it means to bless God. Blessed be the God and our Father of Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings and the heavenly places in Christ. That blessing God is not the same as Him blessing us. For for starters, we bless God because He has blessed us. In response for what He has done, we sing praises, we pray to Him, we simply obey who He is, and we exalt His name to the masses you know, around, around the world. Here in Oklahoma, we proclaim who He is and what He has done and what He can do for you. To bless God is to exalt His name, and for Him to bless us, is to be His. You know, if you look at the Gospel, you look at all of the examples, you know, you look at adoption, you look at justification, you look at redemption, reconciliation, just being saved by Him, all that is in the Gospel. God has blessed us with many spiritual blessings. And in verse 4, we look at, in verse 4 and 5 and 6, we continue to see the spiritual blessings that Paul is talking about here, that He has chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that He chose us before the world was created. That people often ask us, you know, why do we share the Gospel? Well, first of all, because He's commanded us to. But how could we share the Gospel if before the foundation of the world, you know, they were already chosen? But the thing is, is, yes, there is a choice, but everyone who makes that choice to choose God was chosen before the foundation of the world. And we as Christians don't know who that is. We don't know who the elect are. We don't know who the chosen are. And if you continue reading, it says that we would be holy and blameless before Him. To be set apart from the world, to be not like the world, but to be more like Christ who is truly holy. That God is a holy God and that He chose us in Him that we would be holy and blameless. That we would be without fault in Christ. Before God in Christ. And verse 5, in love He predestined us to adoptions as sons through Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of of His will. That God predestined us. That He set us apart to be adopted because we were once child, children of wrath. And if we were children of wrath, we weren't children of God because we were children of Satan, sons of disobedience. He set us apart to be adopted, to be made His, that we could call Him Father, and that is through Jesus Christ, according to His kind intention of His will. His will, not ours. It was God who wanted it, who purposed it. And then in verse 6, 
to the praise, the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Amen? So starting with verse 7, Ephesians 1, verse 7, we're going to be looking at 7 through 10. And the title of the sermon is called Because of Christ. So starting with verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. In verse 9, He made us known to the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention which He purposed in Him. But they view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful day, God. I pray that as you speak through me, God, um, that you would convict all of us, God, that you would convict us, that you would remind us that your sin, that our sins are not more than the mercy you have given us and the grace that you've given us, God, that you've shown us. God, I pray that you would speak. I pray that we wouldn't be distracted. And God, I pray that if we are distracted, that you could, that we, you would use that to praise you. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for Christ, God. I pray that you remind us of the riches of your grace, the spiritual blessings that we have because of Christ. As in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So Ephesians 1 through 7, I'm going to break that in three um, different statements, three different groups, starting with the first part of Ephesians 1 verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood. So in Him, in Christ, we have redemption through Jesus Christ's blood. And it's not that Jesus Christ's blood, it's not, it's not just his, his blood that there is anything special about, just, for example, like being cut. It wasn't just one cut that it would just be His blood that paid for human sins. It was His bloodshed that led to His death. That Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve, right? The righteous King of the world. And that's what He did for us. So in, in, in Him, we have redemption through His blood. So why redemption? Why did we need to be redeemed? It's because we were slaves. We were in bondage. We were slaves to sin. And Brady knows this. I'm sure all of you guys know this. But every single time that me and Brady have ever gone street evangelizing or when somebody finds out, most of the time it's Christians who have a small issue with it. A big issue, I guess. But I had you know, a conversation not too long ago um, with some... I don't remember his name. I don't think it's important right now. But anyways, he was telling me, 
he was asking, what's the difference between all the religions in the world and Christianity? When it comes to redemption, if you look at every false religion that is out there, if you look at Catholicism or Seventh-day Adventists, if you look at Jehovah's Witness, Mormonism, just whatever religion that's not Christianity, who does the redeeming? You know, it's, it's you. Well, it's the attempt, right? It's the attempt to try to redeem yourself to be in right relationship with whatever God they believe in. But with Christianity, it's the opposite. Christianity says you can't. You can't redeem yourself. You never could. And even that, you truly have never desired to be redeemed. But what does redemption mean now that I'm talking about being redeemed? It simply means to be freed, to be delivered. To be delivered from our bondage of sin, to no longer be slaves to sin. For there was a payment made, a payment made we ourselves cannot afford, a payment that nor silver or gold or any earthly treasure could do. We were slaves until we were freed. Free from our sin through the riches and precious blood of Christ. His bloodshed on the cross. That's what Jesus Christ did. Not only did He adopt us, or you know, He has chosen us, or predestined us, or reconciled us, but He redeemed us. Christ has redeemed us. He has set us free. He has delivered us from the bondage of sin through the rich and precious blood of Him. The forgiveness we receive is both costly and free. The price of our redemption is the blood, the life, and the death of of God's only begotten Son. As the old song goes, He paid a debt He did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. Amen? In Colossians 1, 13-14, it says that He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, forgiveness of sins. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Uh, I was telling Josh yesterday that I had a conversation last Thursday with the guy, I couldn't really understand for the longest time what he was trying to tell me. But he, in, in the end, he told me that that uh, that we weren't born sinners. That that there is no need to tell people about sin and hell because it's it's not loving. And when he told me that, I was I was shocked. I was like, man, this guy has he has no idea. He's he's lost. And so I started to share the gospel with him and he continued to disagree with me that we weren't born in sinners, that there is no need to be redemption, right? And I continued to point at the Scriptures to find out that he didn't believe that the Scriptures are, you know, perfect, that they were inerrant. So I just told him as nicely as I could, man, you need to, you know, those things are heresy and you need to, Turn to the gospel. You need to read Ephesians. You need to read. You know, it's just you didn't know what the gospel is. Because when we when we share the gospel with others, and when we tell them of sin and hell and 
of those things. We don't tell them to make them angry at us, but we tell them because if they don't know those things, they don't know of Colossians 1.13 why they need to be delivered. They don't know what they're being delivered from, which is the domain of darkness. And if they don't know those things, they don't know the need. They don't know why they need to be saved or rescued. But again, He has transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And in Titus 2.14, it says, He, Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession, zealous for good deeds. Who owns us? It's not sin. It's God. Who is their Father? It's not Satan. It's not the prince of the power of the air. It's God. Why? Because Jesus Christ satisfied God's wrath. And I know a lot of us know this, but just by the way we sing, by the attitude that we come in here with, by the things that we talk about when we leave, we need to hear this because we forget it daily. It's easy in this world. You know, who I work with, man, it's, sometimes it's depressing. It's like there's just no life. You know, weekend after weekend, they look, they look forward to Friday. You know, they, really, they look forward to be off work. And sometimes I do too, but it's like, that's what they live for. They live for Fridays and the weekends and once they're gone, you know, their temporary happiness is gone. But we as Christians, we have true happiness and true joy because we have been redeemed. We have been forgiven through the redemption. So the second part of verse 1. The forgiveness of our trespasses. Trespasses meaning false step. A boundary that has been crossed. Not just one time. Many times. Before we were in Christ, everything that we did was a false step. In vain. And we did it against God. But because we have been redeemed, all has been forgiven according to His riches. According to the riches of His grace. What does it mean when it says according to the riches of His grace? John MacArthur, he says, If you are going to go to a millionaire and ask him to contribute to a worthy ministry, and he gave you a check for $25, he would only be giving out of his riches. Right? But if he gave you 25000 then he would be giving according to his riches. So God, according to the riches, we have been forgiven according to the riches of His grace. And then in verse 8, right? Oh, sorry, I was jumping ahead. God is rich in mercy and grace, and He pays our ransom according to His riches. Just a quick summary before I go into verse 8. Verse 1. Because of Christ you have been set free from your sin. And because of Christ you have been forgiven of your sins, your trespasses. And because of Christ you are rich in grace and mercy. And then going into verse 8. Because He has lavished it on you 
and all wisdom and insight. So verse 8. He has lavished it on us. What does it mean? What does that word mean? Lavished or lavished? It means to abound, to be over, to be above the number. So when God lavishes His grace on you, it would be as if you were a cup overflowing with grace. It's not a drop. It's not that you could run out. It's not filled halfway. It's not filled to the brim, but it's overflowing. His grace is greater than your sin. Our sins, they are many, as we've seen. But His mercy is more. It is more than we could ever imagine. It is eternal. And all the attributes of God that are for us, because we're in Christ, we'll have that forever. We'll have that forever. But for those who are not in Christ, God still shows them, them, you know, mercy and grace. He shows that towards them in a way, not the same way He would us. Because one day, if they die, right, without Christ, it's going to run out. It's going to be no more. And the only attribute that they will have is His justice. That's the only one. His wrath. It's a terrifying thing. Right? Thank the Lord that we are in Christ. We are hidden in Christ. So He lavishes it on us. It is more than we could ever imagine. His grace. It is eternal. And all wisdom and insight. Wisdom meaning the understanding of things such as life and death. Heaven and hell, righteousness and sin, eternity and time. Insight, on the other hand, emphasizes practical understanding, comprehension of needs, problems, principles of everyday living. So in God, He provides wisdom and insight so we may know, know what? Verse 9. For He has made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention which He purposed in Him. The will of God is made known to us. The will that only those of the Spirit can know. Those who are called, predestined, chosen, adopted, redeemed through Jesus Christ can know. From the lenses of the world, from the lenses of the world, you cannot see what a Christian could see. The Holy Spirit lives and He lives in you. For He has made it known to us what the prophets and people of old had long anticipated. And what is that? We know that God the Father reclaims His people through the blood of the Lamb that was slain on Calvary. And that was only foreshadowed in the past. So what does it mean That God has made known to us the mystery of His will. It's talking about the prophecies, the typologies, the promises, the mere shadows we see in Christ. But that's what a typology means. It just means a type of Christ. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. If you guys would just buckle up for me, because we're about to go through the Old Testament. 
I'm going to try to list every single one of you that I could see um, in the Old Testament, starting with Genesis. So, if you guys are ready, we're going to be looking at the mystery made known to us. Just remind ourselves that the mystery is made known, that that was in Christ, that they did not know, but we, have, we know now. So starting with Genesis, we see that Jesus Christ was the offspring of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent, which Brady talks about a lot, Brady and Trish. It's beautiful. And then Exodus, we see that He is the Lamb of God without spot, without blemish. And in Leviticus, we see that He is our true high priest. You know, that's why I believe that Leviticus and Hebrews... You know, even though one's in the old, one's in the new, they go hand in hand. Because it talks about Christ being the true high priest in Hebrews. In Numbers, we see that He is the one who is lifted up in the wilderness of sin. In Deuteronomy, we see He is the prophet like Moses. In Joshua, we see that He is the one who will lead the people into the land of rest. And Judges, he is God's appointed deliverer. And Ruth, in the book of Ruth, he is our, he is our kinsman's redeemer. In 1 Samuel, we see that he is God rejected as the king. In 2 Samuel, he is the heir of David's throne. In 1 Kings, he is the one who is greater than Solomon. In 2 Kings, he is the one like Elijah, not accepted in his own country. First Chronicles, he is the son of David, and in Second Chronicles, he is the only perfect king. And in Ezra, the book of Ezra, he is the divine temple rebuilder. And in Esther, he is our providential protector. And in Job, we're in Job, right? He is our advocate to plead our case to God and the Redeemer. In the book of Psalms. He is the one who is crucified but not left in Hades. In Proverbs, he is the wisdom of God and the founder of the earth. In Ecclesiastes, he is the one who will bring everything into judgment. And in Song of Solomon, he is the best example we could have of a true love. In Isaiah, he is a virgin born suffering servant. And I just want to say in Isaiah. 53, I think that's a perfect passage to point to anyone who does not believe that Jesus Christ is God. I mean, obviously there's a lot, there's a lot of passages in the Old Testament, but you know, I just, I just, it's just written hundreds of years before Christ came in the flesh, and yet, yet it's word for word exactly what happens to Jesus Christ, who He is, what He looks like and what He's going to do and what happens to Him. The punishment that brought you peace fell upon Him. Later on, the Father was pleased to crush His own Son. And Daniel, we see He is the King over the kingdom that will never be destroyed. And Hosea, He is the forgiving and redeeming husband to the unfaithful wife. And Jonah, he is the three days Jonah spent in the flesh. And in Micah, he is the blessing of Bethlehem. And in Nahum, he is the stronghold in the day of wrath. And Malachi, 
we see he is the one whose forerunner is Elijah. Christ fulfills the Old Testament as the keeper of the law, the singer of the Psalms, the wisdom of God, the suffering serpent, the righteous king, the greater Moses, the greater David, the covering. I think one of the first typologies we see is when Adam and Eve hid because they disobeyed God and they hid because they felt shame and knew that they were naked. They were ashamed of that. And what did God do? He provided a covering for their nakedness and shame. And Jesus Christ is that covering for us today. He has covered our sin. And we also see that He is the ark. Right? For he, that is the type of Christ. Right? That, that the ark, all those who are in the ark are safe from God's wrath. Right? And those who are in Christ are safe from God's wrath because Christ took it and satisfied it. And we see, just like we see in John, the serpent that was lifted up. Jesus Christ is in the Old Testament. Everywhere. Why can the Bible be trusted? Because throughout the Old and through the New, we see the same redemptive story of Jesus Christ. And what are the qualifications for us receiving this mystery made known? There is none. For we are unqualified. We are undeserving and in our own works. I thank the Lord Jesus Christ for He is qualified when we were not. For He was deserving when we were not. So He made known to us, verse 9, He made known to us the mystery of His will which is the Messiah who has come to save His people from His sins, right? In the Old Testament. According to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him. It is according to His kind intention. He did it. God did it because He wanted to. For His glory, He did it. It was according to His will, not ours. As we've already seen, you know, this repeated, you know, in I believe it was verse 4, according to His kind intention. Not our will, but His. God's will. So, in summary, and... As I close, if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, all of these things are true. That God has blessed you with many spiritual blessings. For you can rejoice because you are a citizen of heaven. This world is not our home. That's why we're like aliens here. We don't belong here. This is not our home. We are citizens of heaven. For God has chosen you before the world was even created. That you are, have been made holy and blameless before God. For you are predestined. Marked out beforehand. 
for God. And you were made a child of God through adoption, through Christ. For you have been redeemed, freed of the bondage of sin. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of everything Jesus Christ has done. He did it because He wanted to. For His honor, for His glory, for His praise. In verse 10, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. He has set forth in Christ as a plan before the world was created in the fullness of times to unite all things in Him. What was tainted with sin has been restored, brought back. Everything that is in Christ shall be gathered in. All is chosen. All is chosen. All that the Father gave Him. As we see in John 6.37 where He says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the ones who come to me, I will certainly not cast out. For he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. All that has been redeemed by the blood and all that he has effectually brought back into union with himself shall be gathered together in one. There shall be one flock under one shepherd. And all angels in heaven will unite with us to worship our one and true God. And it was all, as we sing, it was all because of Christ. In Colossians 3, 4, it says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Kind of, this message is kind of short today, but in closing, I want to end with this. That God has redeemed you through Christ. And if you are struggling, if you are doubting these truths, flee from that feeling. What has God said? What, he has, what has He done for you? How can you remind yourself of these things? To be in His Word. And if you're not in His Word, or if you're in sin, you will feel far from Him. You will. But He's always near. If you're in Christ, He is always near. So flee from the feeling, flee from your sin, and turn to what He has said in His written Word. Pray to God. Be with God. Be honest with God. He already knows what, you, what you're thinking. Right? I saw Brady post this on Facebook the other day, but I believe it said that our thoughts are his are like words to God. He already, he already knows our thoughts. So be honest with him. For with these truths we shall be filled with joy, and it was all because of Christ. And I'm going to end it with this. Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, he says this. I thought I could have left with joy from earth to heaven at one spring when I first saw my sins drowned in my Redeemer's blood. Amen? Amen. Uh, 
But let's pray. And we're going to sing a song called Christ the True and Better. Yep. Oh, okay. Yep. But but let's let's pray and then we'll do the Lord's Supper together. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you for this wonderful day. I pray that that we would meditate on what was that what we heard today. That we can make a joyful noise to you. That we can be joyful. That we have joy. Not because of anything we have done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. We are your children. Not, not because we have made ourselves our children. Not because we have adopted ourselves to be yours, but because you have adopted us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for what you have done, being a merciful and gracious and patient and loving kindness. Thank you for what you have done. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.